Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored in part by the Read Harder Journal, created by us here at Book Riot. This reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. And evenly interspersed among these entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by Book Riot's annual Read Harder initiative, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up passed over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. This challenge in the Read Harder Journal is separate from the 2018 or 2019 challenges. So there are new tasks for you, like indulging your inner book nerd and reading a book about books, or finding a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press, and so much more. Each challenge includes an inspiring quotation, an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding, and five book recommendations that fulfill the challenge. So go to bookriot.com slash readharderjournal to buy one. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 45, and we are recording on January 25th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot, and today we're going to talk about weird sci-fi and fantasy. And drink fancy bubble tea. (laughs) I know. I had to tell Sharifa, I was like, we need to record five minutes late because my friend is bringing me surprise bubble tea because I live a charmed life. (laughs) Those are the best surprises. I'm over here looking at my plain old sorry tea and it's just not cutting it anymore. But I'm sorry, Sharifa. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's fine. I have no friends. (laughs) That's not. Yeah, you need to train Tabitha to fetch you bubble tea. <laughs> I know cats need to put themselves to use. I think yes. like the next weird fiction book that needs to be written is going to be about cats that are sort of Jeeves Butler characters, yeah. and it's never explained how that came to be or why. Especially since cats have a terrible temperament. So (laughs) I'm on board for this. I'm on board for it. Okay, good. I'm glad. (laughs) Well, before we get into news and other strange ideas, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is us. Uh, Today, we're sponsored by our Unusual Suspects giveaway of $100 to the bookstore of your choice. I love these giveaways where you kind of get to to decide what books you want in whatever genre you like because I fantasize about what I would get. So if that sounds exciting to you, we're giving away $100 to the bookstore of your choice, Amazon Powell's, your local indie that sells e-gift cards, whatever. So to enter, go to bookriot.com slash mystery giveaway and sign up for Unusual Suspects, our fantastic mystery thriller newsletter that covers new releases, book news, backlist reading recommendations, book deals, and more. So thank you very much to us for sponsoring today's show. Mm-hmm. 
All right, let's get started with some news. And I wanted to talk about this Shadow and Bone series that's coming up from Netflix. I was very excited. I was not the only one who was very excited about this news. We posted it on Book Riot and people were flailing and screaming and doing a lot of Muppet arms. Um, (laughs) I was enjoying that a lot. So Netflix has officially greenlit this project. It's an eight-episode series. And interestingly, it's going to combine both Leigh Bardugo's debut novel, which is Shadow and Bone, uh, which is the first book in the Shadow and Bone trilogy. And it's also going to combine Bardugo's Six of Crows, which is the first book in the Six of Crows series. That was super interesting to me. And Here's another thing about my reading habits that I've mentioned before, and that is not anomalous to me. I'm sure a lot of you out there can relate, but I'm the horrible person who will read the first book in a series and then not finish that series. (laughs) So I have read the first book in the Shadow and Bone series and the first book in the Six of Crows series, and I have not read the other books in those (laughs) series, which is preposterous. Like, who does that? It's terrible. Um, So, (laughs) but I've read both of the books, the first books, and I'm really curious as to how they're going to combine these two because they do take place in the Grishaverse, which is this huge, like really impressive world Leigh Bardugo has created and that she's really known for and a lot of people really love. I love it. Um, But they're kind of, they're so different to me. And I don't know if perhaps some of that is because I haven't read like the last book in Shadow and Bone series. But it just seems like it's going to be a very interesting process to combine those books. But the show is, it has some really interesting people behind it. It's going to be created, written, and produced by Eric Heiser, who also did Bird Box. If you saw that on Netflix, that was a huge hit. Um, I watched it myself. I think I mentioned last uh episode. And it's also going to be produced by Sean Levy. He's the executive producer. And he executive produced Stranger Things, another super popular uh, genre Netflix show. So it's really interesting that these pretty successful people are behind it, including Leigh Bardugo, who is also going to executive produce the series. And that is, to me, it's always like, extra relieving, I guess. It makes me feel a little comforted when I see the author of the works really invested in and participating in the adaptation of their book. So I trust Leigh Bardugo. She's such an amazing writer and she has such a clear vision of the Grishaverse and her books that I am kind of not worried about how this is going to go. I'm more curious than anything Um, And yeah, I'm just really looking forward to it. It's going to be a while before it comes out, but it's kind of incredible news. I'm a little bit surprised it didn't happen sooner, but there have been a lot of books coming out. So I guess it was a matter of time anyway. I think it's interesting that they're doing it as like they're saying from the start, it's an eight episode series. Like Mm -hmm. it kind of implies that it's a standalone miniseries with both of the series that you know like shadow and bone and six of gross so that i don't know i think that's interesting yeah i don't know if they're like they've been doing these things a lot where 
they'll have this limited run series. But then I'm always suspicious of, are you just saying that so that, you know, this is like the trial phase, but really there's probably going to be more seasons of this show if it's successful, but they don't want to like say that right away. So I never know if this is just like a weird marketing way to say like, oh, this is just the first season of what might become a... um, a bigger project or multiple mm. seasons. So I don't Same. know. I Same. don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out. We will. We always do. All right. Let's see. We have some exciting news. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to give this one to you. Oh, thank you. Um, so I talked last year, probably around this time, about how if you did not know already, you can vote in the Hugo Awards. Um, all that you need to do to become a voting member is to have a supporting membership, um, which is it's like 40 pounds, so around $50 US. Um, and I'm going to leave a link in the show notes to where you can do that. Um, I am a supporting member, so I get to vote in the Hugos. And and I will remind you all that Hugos are the fan nominated. Well, anybody, I mean, literally anyone who has a membership. So authors, fans, whoever um, can nominate and vote in the Hugos, whereas the Nebulas are like the industry awards. So I was working on my nominations card <laughs> and one of the categories for the Hugos is uh, there's two fan categories. There's fan cast and um, fan writing. And Lo and behold, there's this there's this great spreadsheet of doom is what it's called. I'll link to this in the show notes as well <laughs> that like keeps track of who's eligible for each category. And somebody had put SFF yeah in the fan cast tab as Yay! like eligible for a Hugo nomination, <laughs> which doesn't mean that we're going to get to the actual ballot. It just means we could. Um, so yes. I just want to sh- thank whoever put us on there. This is really delightful. And I had I actually had not realized we were eligible. So that was a really glorious moment of our days. So thank you for that. Um, also eligible are our good friends, Swapna and Preeti, who do the Daisy Geek Girls podcast. Super exciting to see friends listed on there who are doing awesome work. So if you would like to vote in the Hugos, which I highly encourage you to do because, you know, we've had a really good run. N.K. Jemison won three in a row. Like, oh, we're Amazing. starting to make strides in terms of representation in awards. But like, let's not let, rest on our laurels let's make sure that we continue voting to be the change that we want to see in sci-fi and fantasy awards um so i encourage you to become a supporting member and to vote um and there will be all of the information in the show notes you can vote for who you ever want i'm not telling you how to vote i'm just (laughs) saying i'm just saying you should vote that's all Jen and I were basically like, it was impossible to do anything else oh the rest gosh. of the day when we found out because it was just so exciting. I had no idea either. I think I didn't even, I must have blanked on like, oh, there are other categories outside of just the books that I love and read and the authors. Like, I don't really think about it as much right. with Hugo. So when you said that, I was like, is that possible? <laughs> How could that possibly happen? How are we on there? Like, did I write right. a book in my sleep? So this is like super exciting. And I just wanted to also say thank you to whoever 
put us on the list. Yeah, it's funny. You know, the joke is like, oh, it's an honor just to be nominated. It's like, it's an honor just to be on the spreadsheet that indicates that we could potentially be nominated. (laughs) Like, that is an honor. (laughs) We're we're easily pleased. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, this is going to make my year no matter what else happens. So so that's delightful. Uh, So wonderful. It's nice Mm -hmm. to have some good news on a Friday. It is. It is. Um, okay, so let's see. Oh, I wanted to how ha- I wanted to talk about an update to Bandersnatch because we talked about it um, the last episode and about my very interesting experience with the show. This is that Netflix series that um, is Black Mirror, basically, but this was their interactive show. And Netflix is being sued. And Netflix is getting sued by so many people. Netflix, <laughs> Netflix was most recently sued by Choose Your Own Adventure publishers because of the format. And there are certain – it's difficult. Like, of course, this is all legal legal jargon. And I am not a lawyer, so I don't know like exactly the details behind it. But according to this article that talks about um, the lawsuit, it's saying that Choose Your Own Adventure or Choose Co., the company that does those books, is accusing Netflix of willfully infringing on the Choose Your Own Adventure trademark and claiming that the episode is so dark, it'll tarnish the book's reputation. So really interesting. I can't remember the last time I saw something like this, but it is Choose Your Own Adventure, I think, is so, so much a part of, especially people who grew up in a certain time period. (laughs) I say that like I'm talking about historical fiction, but I'm talking about my own childhood. (laughs) Um, (laughs) People who grew up at a certain time, like, those choose your own adventure books and that sort of style of storytelling has become so ingrained into just the culture of reading and storytelling that I think it's interesting how it's been translated into other areas. Now, I don't know if there's grounds for this. I don't know how this uh, court case is going to turn out. But I just thought it was interesting, like, this is obviously an experimental thing Netflix was doing and Black Mirror was doing, and it would be very difficult to do a sort of interactive show like that without having some similarities to... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so I talked to... I, I know a little bit about Choose Co from, um, we've actually as a site had to change wording yes. on things <laughs> like, like they're very aggressive about the copyright on the phrase, choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use choose your own path and it doesn't mean that other people can't write interactive, you know, choose as you go books or media. It just means you can't refer to them as choose your own adventure without inviting a takedown or a lot lawsuit from choose code they like they're very aggressive about this and um and it seems like this complaint hinges on the fact that um in inside of bandersnatch the protagonist describes a fictitious interactive novel as a choose your own adventure book yes. so like it's the fact that in the in the course of the 
the what, can you call it a film in the course of the thing yeah in the course of bandersnatch <laughs> the phrase choose your own adventure is used to describe a not choose your own adventure thing so like that's the that's the that's the actual like heart of the complaint and like who knows what a jury or I bet it won't even make it to court. Like I bet they'll settle the way, the same way that they settled with the satanic temple last year. That's right. Um, And, and so I'm sure it won't make it to court. Um, But choose co I do know is very aggressive about this. And like, so I'm not surprised to see this. What I am surprised about is that Netflix let that fly. Like you would think that, especially because if this article that we're going to link to is correct, that they tried to get, licensing for choose your own adventure before bandersnatch came out and didn't get it so like one would think that the legal team would have been like y'all like call it something else like call it choose your own whatever but don't call it choose your own adventure so like i'm again confused about like the the divide between netflix's legal and creative seems to be very wide and one would think that they would want to lose less money over this now also like i don't know what their budgets are like maybe this is just a drop in the bucket who knows <laughs> that's true so yeah uh, yeah that's that's an interesting point and i agree like i don't understand how the legal teams could let that sort of thing slide maybe it was because there were so many different paths they couldn't possibly <laughs> watch the whole thing <laughs> Ever. Touche. <laughs> I'm so salty about that. I don't know. You are. I love it. All right. Well, good luck, Netflix. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Good luck to them. Um, I want to talk real quick about a book that has been optioned, which means it'll take us like 16 years to get anything yeah. out of it, potentially. <laughs> but I'm really delighted to see that Tasha Suri's novel, Empire of Sand, has been optioned as a TV series. Um, I think that is fantastic. I read and reviewed this book in the swords and spaceships newsletter not too long ago um it's so oh it's so good it's an it's uh it's about a young woman who is like the illegitimate illegitimate mixed race daughter of a governor um and she's sort of just been kind of you know living this life of privilege but also has very little power um she gets to live in the fancy you know palace but doesn't get to have much control over her life or anything else um and then finds her she has magical powers and she finds herself of course at the crux of this intense political situation and i thought it was so good and it's so uh nice to see a hijabi heroine and um and it's very middle eastern inspired and and you know i think there's or no, is it Mughal Empire? Uh, I think that's right. Um, and anyway, it's just great. Um, it was really, really immersive, and I can totally see it in my head. I worry that unless they have a good enough budget, it will be hard to turn into a TV show. Um, it seems to me that a movie might have made more sense. But I also, like, if I'm going to get more of this world, like, I'm not sad about that. So it'll be really interesting to see what directions this goes in. Hopefully it won't be stuck in development hell for forever, because I would like i would like to see something like this on the screen sooner rather than later so yeah this sounds really exciting i've been seeing this book a lot and it's one of those books that i have forever (laughs) determined to read (laughs) and we actually just recently published a piece by tasha suri on um the site so yeah yeah i got to learn more about her and about her thoughts and about her views of fantasy through that. Mm-hmm. So 
It's all very exciting. And I don't know anything about this world or, or the world building, but I feel like with any, like I completely understand the um, uncertainty about it with any like world building fantasy novel. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's always the budget concern yes. because it takes so much to make that stuff you know, realistic and look good, especially Mm -hmm. when you've got a really great story, you always want it to match up. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, who knows how long it's going to (laughs) take. Yeah, yeah. But I'll be looking forward to it and to seeing where it actually gets released. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, Well, I think in the interest of actually staying on time, maybe we (laughs) should move on from news. Oh, yeah. Well, let's see. Let's do our second sponsor before we get talking about our weird sci-fi fantasy. Um, So our next sponsor is Mulholland Books, and they are uh, sponsoring in... On behalf of, excuse me, how do words work? Uh, <laughs> the book that they are sponsoring is Golden State by Ben H. Winters. Um, he, as you might recall, is the New York Times bestselling author of Underground Airlines and the Last Policeman trilogy. Um, the second novel in that trilogy was an NPR Best Book of 2013 and winner of the Philip K. Dick Award. Um, he's won other awards for lots of other things, so very well-known writer. And this book is about a strange alternate society that values values law and truth above all else. Um, The main character, Laszlo, is a 19-year veteran of the speculative service. He lives in the Golden State, which, as you might have guessed, is a sort of alternate California where certain members of the American population retreated after the erosion of truth and the spread of lies made public life and governance impossible. And inside of the Golden State, knowingly contradicting the truth or speaking a lie is the greatest crime. And this is Laszlo's job is to stop these crimes. Uh, So this is a journey into post-truth society. They're calling it a Fahrenheit 451 for our anxious times. Uh, Certainly seems timely. And it's got a ton of blurbs from lots of great writers, including Blake Crouch, who is the author of Dark Matter, which I know a lot of folks read and loved. So if you are in the mood for like an alternative near future dystopia sort of what is this reminding me of uh philip k dick actually considering oh, yeah. that he won an award yeah it feels very philip k dick to me um so if that appeals to you you should definitely check it out again that is golden state by ben h winters and that was sponsored by mulholland books thanks so much for sponsoring the show and you're up again. <laughs> it's me again. Okay, so we're talking about weird fiction and weird sci-fi fantasy in particular. Yeah. And it was funny when we were putting together the, the agenda because I was like, well, this one is fantasy-ish and this one yeah, is same. sci-fi-ish. Like, <laughs> but that's the whole point of weird fiction is that it kind of doesn't fit neatly into any one category. Um, and I want to give shout outs to a couple of authors who we're not going to talk about on the show because they're pretty well known. But just to like sort of give you a rubric for where my head was. Um, I was thinking about, for example, Jeff Vandermeer, China Mieville, Lauren Bucus, um, a little bit of Tade Thompson too. Like those authors are all sort of, I think, you know, blending genres and doing stuff. And you put down the book and you're like, what did I just read? Like, what did I just read? Why is this so hard to sum up? Um, and yeah. so, yes, so that's kind of where I was in my brain when I was putting together my picks for this. Does that sound right to you? That sounds right to me. I really did have to stop and think about what exactly weird fiction was because it also 
blends into a lot of different, not just science fiction and fantasy, but like a lot of different subgenres. And mm-hmm. there are some subgenres that sound like weird fiction that could also be like magical realism can also fit in there sometimes. So I really had to stop and think about it. And I ended up landing in a place of like, well, where do I see like this sort of uncanny feeling? Where is it like, not just not explained, but there's like a certain sense of, oh, this is kind of grounded in reality. There are weird things happening, but I can't quite put my finger on what's going on or why. So yeah, it's a very, it's a fascinating genre. And I know that very recently there have been a lot more books coming out in the weird uh, fiction genre. Yeah. And there's this whole sort of sub, I don't know what to call it, it's not exactly a genre, but yeah. um, like uh, there's a movement, I guess, that started back in, mm, I want to say the, n- I'm, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. Anyway, the new <laughs> weird is what yes. they've been calling it. Yeah. And China Medieval is like, you know, a, a poster boy for that. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and so there is a sort of, there's even like a, a like a name for the sort of writers who are collectively doing this thing. Um, but the writers that I picked are not part of, or at least not typically talked about in those, in that regard. Um, so my fantasy-ish pick is The Lonesome Bodybuilder by Yukiko Motoya. It's translated by Asa Yoneda. And this is a short story collection that is just... It, I think it was hands down the strangest thing I read last year. Like it was so, <laughs> so weird. Um, it's like a surreal, fabulous, you know, uh, just, just nothing works the way you think it should do, including bodies. So this gets a trigger warning for body horror along the lines of like, oh, bodies should not do that. Like that's not what should happen with a body. Like, no, no, thank you. Um, but I am pretty sensitive to that and I made it through and I thought it was really, really worth it. Um, so for example, there is a story about a newlywed who notices that her husband's features are starting to like move around his face and then she starts getting freaked out that hers are going to start moving too and you know it's it's about this sort of like obviously this is a metaphor for you know retaining your own identity and a relationship and what does it mean to be a couple like but it's like it's really visceral and weird and you're like oh and then there's another one that's about a woman who works in a clothing boutique who has this very difficult customer in the fitting room won't come out keeps asking for different sizes, different things. It's like the end of the workday doesn't matter. The store is closed. They're still in there. And then you start to realize that like maybe the customer behind the curtain is not actually a human. Um, And then there's another one where like an old man shows a little boy the secret to flying. Um, Like there's just all different strange, strange, strange sort of set pieces that feel like it starts off and you're like, oh, this is a recognizable situation and then takes like a hard left. And you're like, now I don't know where I am anymore. What's happening? What is, what do words mean? What is life? Like, it's just really weird. Um, but it was so interesting. And I think that, you know, like a lot of the Japanese speculative fiction that I've read, there is a strong sort of 
uncanniness and verging on horror, um, even though it's not like a classically Western kind of horror. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's just really, some of them are really dark. Some of them are really funny. Some of them are both. Um, but I thought it was well worth the read. And I just keep thinking about some of them. Like I will be thinking about some of these stories just forever. My favorite is actually one of the least fantastical, but it's a, there's this woman who's been writing a very successful sort of Dear Abby column for many years and this is her last column and she is just like letting it all hang out and like giving these like increasingly nonsensical answers to these sort of classic typical questions and it's so sharp and it's so funny oh it's just the best so yeah I loved I loved this collection and if you are in the mood for something that you are just going to be sitting there thinking like what on earth did I just read um, <laughs> this is definitely one to put on your list so again that's the lonesome bodybuilder uh, it's short stories by Yukiko Motoya uh, translated by Asa Yoneda that definitely sounds like something like David Cronenberg fans. Yes, that's a good comp. That is like, oh God, now I'm having flashbacks to Videodrome. Why? Sharif I know, Alar. I'm sorry. Oh no. I thought about it and shuddered. <laughs> I'm going to need to, I think I'm going to need to brace myself before I read that book. Yes. Um, okay, well for my fantasy-ish pick. Uh, I had the same sort of, I, I ended up with the same sort of thing where there's this sort of fabulism, surrealist setting. Um, and it's Swamplandia by Karen Russell, which is an older book, uh, but it just came to mind. I was literally looking through my bookshelves trying to figure out what to pick. And this one popped out at me. Uh, this book does come with a trigger warning for child abuse and rape. Uh, I won't be talking about it here, but just so you know. So, yeah, I picked up Swamplandia when it first came out. I didn't know anything about Karen Russell at the time. This was a while back. And I literally bought the book because I thought the cover was cute. That was it. So, <laughs> and then it ended up taking me to this really surreal landscape of Florida swamps and introducing me to the Big Tree family who own and operate this sort of roadside attraction. So something, it's like, think of those roadside attractions you would pass by going to somewhere more interesting like just like it could be ignored you could drive by it that sort of place and it's an alligator wrestling theme park so there are all sorts of problems with the big tree family firstly that they're even called the big tree family the father of um the family has totally appropriated the native american culture and he's this really blustery despicable sort of person i honestly did not like this character one bit but um he has three children and a recently deceased wife and he also has a father in an assisted living facility along with this failing business and at the opening of the book as you can imagine everything is looking very bleak for the family and each one of them has their own set of problems um, and the book mainly focuses on the three children in this family. There's Kiwi, who's the older brother, Osceola, the middle sister, and Ava, who's the youngest sister. And um, like the next book I'm going to talk about as well, the story is sort of grounded in a mostly familiar reality. Like it takes place in Florida. Of course, that's a real place. Um, but then there are also elements of the uncanny in the lives of these three children and the events that unfold. So, for instance, there is the strangeness of this super corporate amusement park 
the world of darkness. And for whatever reason, that remind, totally reminded me of that um, childhood series, Goosebumps. So there's the world of darkness, which is this other big amusement park that's moved into town. And Kiwi ends up going to work there to help the family since his father seems to be in denial about the whole situation they're going through. And then there's Osceola's obsession with the occult arts, which is totally like in my wheelhouse. And what seem to be these interactions she has with the dead. And then there's also Ava's experience and her perceptions of her family and her involvement with Osceola's paranormal activities. And there's this journey she takes through the wilderness with this mysterious figure called the Birdman. I felt really disoriented reading this book, um, which is an experience I have with a lot of weird fiction and an experience I kind of enjoy about weird fiction and surrealist and fabulous fiction. Um, And maybe it's also because I went into it not knowing anything, but also because of Karen Russell's brand of storytelling Uh, which is weird and fabulous and Southern Gothic in this case. So I feel like if you like We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson, you'll probably like this book. And Karen Russell also wrote some other books that might be recognizable. There's that short story collection called St. Lucy's Home for Girls Raised by Wolves. And then there's another collection, Vampires in the Lemon Grove. Um, They were both pretty buzzy, I think, when they came out. And I think there were some people like me who perhaps saw the cover of the book or read the synopsis and thought this was going to be like this lighthearted, sort of magical, whimsical tale. And in a lot of ways it was, but there's really this tragic undercurrent and there are some really horrible things that happen in the story. And I remember a lot of people finding that really jarring and being upset by it. So I feel like the warning is kind of necessary to know that when you're going into this story. Um, But he did enjoy it. I particularly, my favorite character was Ava um, and her strange and really harrowing journey. So again, if that sounds interesting to you, that was Swamplandia by Karen Russell. Yeah, I was one of those people who it was it was so buzzy when it came out, but people were like, oh, it's this like, you know, dark satire about a family in the Everglades and there's alligator wrestling and like nobody was like trigger warning. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh. And so when I read it, I was totally unprepared for all of the dark stuff that happens. And I was just like, oh, my God, like I was glad I read it. It was really, really good. Um, but yeah, definitely not like a lighthearted, whimsical tale. I will say that I've read Vampires in the Lemon Grove also, and that collection is pretty fun like there's there's minimal if I recall correctly there's there's less harrowing in that I mean not to say that there's none but it's definitely um it is it has a lot of really light-hearted pieces in it so yeah oh, if that's you, a good one yeah. yeah if you wanted something a little bit lighter but you still wanted to get a feel for her that might be that might be one way to go so good suggestion yeah um I did love Swamplandia also though for sure yeah it's so good <laughs> Okay, my sci-fi-ish pick is Long Division by Kiese Lehman, who is, I think, much better known at this moment in time for his memoir, Heavy, which is really, really good and which I talked about on all the books. Um, but his debut novel is like a metafictional time travel coming of age story that is really 
bonkers and really good. Um, trigger warnings for family violence, racial violence, and the use of slurs um, by various characters. So this is, it's not, again, not lighthearted. It has some whimsy, but it is it is also quite harrowing. Um, and it starts off in like 2013, where the main character, City is his nickname, um, is 14. And he is part of this uh, group that's going to a nationally televised vocabulary contest and it sort of becomes clear as they're like getting ready backstage that there's some you know manipulation going on by the hosts of the quiz contest and when he gets up on stage he gets a word that sends him into a meltdown um for for very obvious reasons when you read it you're like yep that's exactly what what 14 year old boy would do in this scenario, I feel like. Um, and his meltdown, because it is nationally tele- televised and it's the odds, gets put on YouTube and he's like this overnight sensation and people are coming up to him on the street and wanting videos, but it's like infamy. It's not exactly a good thing. Um, and so he gets sent to his grandmother's in a small uh, coastal town um called melahatchee and um and he's supposed to be he's basically like in deep trouble with his mother and grandmother and he finds in the course of his you know day before he gets sent away to live with his grandmother for the for a minute um he finds a book that has doesn't have an author and it's called long division here's the metafictional part Mm -hmm. and the main character has his same name but lives in 1985 and this this version of city who lives in 1985 finds a hole in the woods that lets him time travel but only to like two places. He can either go to the future, which we assume is 2013. There's computers and cell phones and back to 1964. Um, and this is just, and so, yeah. And so you get chapters from this metafictional book, long division, uh, like alongside of cities, 2013, you know, journey. And it, they start to sort of intersect in all of these crazy ways. And it's such a, it's such a, like, it's such a high concept, but it doesn't feel that way when you read it because you're so embedded in this teenage mindset. And it's like, that is the least high concept place in the world. <laughs> like, like the, the mind of a 14 year old boy is not high concept. Like he's concerned about girls and his hair and his, you know, what his grandmother, like how he's going to get in trouble and, you know, what he's going to do, um, you know, when, and his problems at school and, you know, all of this stuff. Like he's concerned with these very visceral mundane things and also this position that he's been put in, like, how is he going to handle this? And then there's this book that seems to be about him, but is not about him. But is it, is it about him? Like question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, and I just, I just feel like it's so different. Um, and you also, I mean, we've talked about this before. It's very rare to get a time travel novel with characters of color, much less teenage characters of color. And be, you know, because I think a lot of authors don't want to tackle the inevitable problems that come from time traveling when you are in a body that has been politicized and enslaved and, you know, all of those things. Um, but like Casey Lyman is like, 
on board to tackling that and does it in really, really intense and interesting ways. And yeah, it's just incredibly powerful, but also funny, but also heartbreaking. And it's just such an interesting way to play with these concepts. Um, and it, it reminded me, I mean, it has a Victor Laval blurb on the cover and I was like, Oh, that makes perfect sense. Like, you know, alongside of like Jeff Vandermeer and China Medieval, Victor Laval is also doing this kind of stuff, yes. um, especially with the change. And I do feel like this is the kind of book that you could put next to the changeling on a shelf and they would speak to each other in interesting ways. So it's, it's just, it is, it's real weird y'all, but like, <laughs> it's really good. So again, that is Long Division by Kiese Lehman. We're thematically on the same path. I feel like our <laughs> books kind that. of line up. That's so funny. That's awesome. Okay, so my final pick is a new collection of short stories uh, that veer in the direction of science fiction. So it's Friday Black by Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya. And this is Ajay Brenya's debut, which is, this is one of those books where I'm like, I can't believe this is a debut. And it came out late last year in October. I finally read it. I'm so happy I read it. Um, There are 12 stories in the collection And they touch on some really big themes. So there's racism, gun violence, school bullying, fatherhood, consumerism. And of course, with these themes come these really powerful, difficult and important images and conversations. So, you know, you should know this book does come with many trigger warnings, uh, racial violence, gun violence, violence against children, self-harm. Um, And I had a sense going in that the collection wouldn't be an easy read in terms of content. And there was a part of me that kind of hesitated to get into it because, you know, by the end of last year, I was just so tired and so overwhelmed. And I didn't think I could read about Black people suffering. And it's worth checking in with yourself, you know, if you are Black and you're picking this up, you're fatigued, it's hard. But I'm really, really glad I decided to go all in and see for myself because the stories took me on this whirlwind tour of emotions. And I ended up coming out feeling like I'd really gained something important by reading this book. And also, Ajay Brenya has a great sense of humor. And you really see it shine in some of these stories. Uh, What makes this collection weird is that so much of it is grounded in reality. So much of it is uncanny in the way that makes you... Uh, Forget that, for instance, creative ambitions don't take the physical form of some demonic god or, you know, we don't have theme parks for people to exercise racial aggressions. And in some stories, the speculative elements are so subtle. And what's scary is that the dystopia that's presented feels kind of real. And if not here, then it could possibly be incoming. And I don't know how many people saw the film Sorry to Bother You. It was kind of like a low-key indie flick uh, about, about a black telemarketer who uses a white voice to, to climb the corporate ladder. But the first story in this book, The Finkelstein Five, about um, this, this black guy trying to get by and pass unnoticed through a world where violence against black kids gets a pass in the eyes of the law that story kind of reminded me of that movie with this theme of like code switching and the daily work of presenting as non-aggressive so as not to become like the victim of white fear. And then you get stories like the titular Friday Black, which takes this sort of George Romero style zombie consumerism trope and gets really literal 
with it and really gruesome and satirical. It's a Black Friday story set in a um, in a mall, as you might imagine. And there are actually three stories in the collection that follow this theme. So this isn't like linked a uh, collection of linked stories, but there are three stories that kind of take place in the same setting and are a little bit linked um, and follow this theme. And the last story in the book reminded me of another book we've talked about a few times on this show, The Library at Mount Char. Mm. Uh, yeah. And firstly, in how gruesome it was, this last story in the collection. And secondly, in that it showed what horrors people are capable of when they're endowed with godlike powers. And that story just like completely left me bereft. It was, it was such a perfect ending to this sometimes raw, sometimes cerebral, sometimes shocking and really excellent collection. I'm going to be thinking about that story for a really long time. So again, that was Friday Black by Nanakome Ajibrenya. I got to read that one. <gasps> you do. Oh, I, I really can't do. wait. You have to tell me what you think when you get to it. No pressure. I will. I will. I will. Ugh. Well, thank you all for listening as we went on this journey. <laughs> um, if you have thoughts about what we've talked about or you have theme ideas or any of those things, you can feel free to email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Um, you can also review us on Apple Podcasts if you are so inclined. It helps other folks to find this show and it juices the algorithm. So that's always nice. Um, you can find us online. I'm on Twitter. It's Jen IRL. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And you can find me on Instagram at Szina Williams, S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.